All right, so we uh, started last week a series uh, that we'll spend uh, probably the next several weeks uh, getting into uh, late winter and early spring months, and uh, we are going to do a little bit of a deep dive on Bible basics for discipleship. I have entitled it that because it is something that helps us in our own personal spiritual growth and our theme for this year being confidence in the scriptures, confidence in the Bible. And I believe this will help us in our confidence in the scriptures. I don't want to get uh, too deep and throw things, um, you know, throw the hay over your heads, uh, so to speak. I want to keep it down um, where uh, it's in the feeding trough, so to speak, where we can uh, digest it. Uh, But I think it's important for us as believers uh, sometimes to get into some deeper, uh, maybe a little bit more of a theological uh, type of, of look. I think sometimes we get very superficial. And again, a lot of Christian literature out there today is, is a lot of marshmallows and cream. It's, it's a lot of the ready whip that you spray on top of your, your, your coffees or on your pumpkin pie. And uh, it just isn't that strong. It just isn't very meaty. And uh, not only are we to have a desire uh, for the milk of the word, but the Bible talks about strong meat belonging to those who are of full age, those who are mature. And as believers, I, I appreciate your faithfulness on a Sunday morning, Sunday school. I would love to see us uh, grow our Sunday school hour. I know it takes some sacrifice getting out of bed, getting here, but this is such an important time of the week. And uh, I feel like Sunday school is a time where we can kind of slow down a little bit and uh, we can dig a little deeper. We can go a little bit slower through things and even have some questions and, and answers and some discussion. And so we're going to take several weeks here and we're going to look at uh, this topic uh, specifically right now in regards to the, the, the Bible. And then we'll, Lord willing, get in uh, to some uh, other topics as well as we are dealing with some very basics, some foundational elements in our knowledge of the scriptures and our knowledge of God. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, we know this verse very well. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, oh, and I just lost my place here, that the man of God may be um, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Um, so we are, we are told here, once again, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. So that means that we have the very Word of God, inspired, infallible, preserved for us today. We're not looking for anything. We're not missing anything. We are not trying to find some secret books or some secret codes that are hidden that we can somehow uh, discover and shed some new light on the 21st century because God didn't give us everything that we needed or God had to maybe clean up the mess that man made somewhere along the way or that God has to add some things for some clarification or God forgot to give us some information that he wanted us to have and we need new revelation now or there's something new that needs to come along to fix what was 
old and now is outdated. People talk about the Bible being irrelevant. People talk more about man's ideas and man's uh, motivation and all the different things that are out there for self-help. And there's some practical tips. I've talked about it before. There are some practical self-help books that can provide a measure of moralism. We talked a little bit about this at lunch yesterday at the men's meeting. And moralism will only go so far. As a matter of fact, America is very good at a form of moralism. But it has left us empty. It has left us short of the authority of the Word of God because ultimately what moralism does is it replaces God's authority with man's authority. And then man begins to decide morals and then we end up with a moral relativism and every man doing what is right in his own eyes, which is what we have descended to today. So going back in for review, we looked at the views of the Bible that some people fall into. I won't go back and talk about the different podcasts that are out there today. Uh, We spent some time in in some introductory material talking about uh, three of the top four podcasts on Spotify have something to do with the Bible, but two of those three are Catholic, which we know uh, they uh, have a different view on the authority of the Word of God. So I won't go back and review all that, but This is where a lot of people are at when it comes to their views of the Bible. Some people, religious people in particular, will see the Bible as a liturgical book for self-righteous living. So the Bible has good moralistic principles. It even has some religious types of activities, some formalities. It's a book that you come and on Sunday maybe you read out of, but and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to have a liturgical book of prayer or something like that. I know there are some churches that do that. I think the Anglicans, maybe some of the other, uh, I'm not real familiar with all the specifics of these religious services, but I know the Anglicans, they have a, a book of prayer and they'll read through. I'm not saying all that is, is, is wrong. I'm not condemning all that. Uh, it can become very formalistic. And it can become very liturgical in the sense that it's just something that you mouth over, that you just say. Like some people, they like to say the Lord's Prayer as if that sprinkles some sort of pixie dust, pixie dust, (laughs) magical dust. Just because um, you say the Lord's Prayer, uh, it doesn't uh, mean that it um, provides some sort of of, uh, sacramental um, grace or something. But some people, they treat those prayers and those those books that way i know i do remember going to a synagogue in new york city we had a tour of a synagogue in new york city and there were prayer books in there and we picked one up and we were looking through it and and worship can become very mechanical Um, but again i'm not saying that all of those prayer books are, are, are wrong or doctrinally incorrect but there's a formalistic worship that a lot of even false religions will practice a formalistic, liturgical type of religion with a lot of ceremony, a lot of pomp and circumstance. I don't know if any of you saw the funeral for the queen. I don't know if any of you watched any of that. 
but they got into, and I can't remember the names of some of these places, but if you watched any of that and they get into certain buildings, certain cathedrals in the Church of England, Anglican, obviously coming out of the Catholic Church, kept a lot of the Catholic uh, ceremonies and uh, sacramental liturgical types of, of systems, and a lot of ornate clothing, a lot of ornate uh, designs and different religious uh, symbolisms, very formal, very liturgical, but there, there wasn't a true gospel message focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our necessity, the necessity of repenting of our sins and Christ being our substitutionary atonement for our sins, that, that was lacking. A lot of ceremony, a lot of liturgical things, a lot of religious uh, type of uh, ceremony, but missing the truth in so many ways. So some people look at the Bible in, in, in a liturgical way. A uh, lot of people today see the Bible as a book of wise sayings. You know, it's up there with the Book of Mormon, uh, the Pearl of Great Price. It's up there with some of the other religious books. Name, name some of the religious books that are out there that through the years have become popular. Quran. The Koran, good. Um, what was, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the book that was in the, oh, it's more of a new age type of, of book. It was very popular for a while. You heard a lot about it. The Shack, okay, there you go. Yeah, that was popular. Oh, boy. Yeah, we could, we could talk about that. A lot of false teaching there. And it became a movie, and a lot of people became mesmerized with that. The Da Vinci Code was popular for a while. Prayer yeah, Prayer J. yes, that was a big one, right? Okay, and people, people tend to, in our pop culture, they tend to put the Bible on the same level, or those books on the same level as the Bible. It's just another, the Bible, yeah, that, that's a good book for you. It's got some wise sayings, there's some good things in there that will be helpful for us, and that's the way some people view the Bible. How about some good stories, Aesop's fable, uh, mythical type of stories with some good uh, moral principles, some life lessons. That's how a lot of people view the Bible. And there are a lot of good moral people, and I use quotes there, scare quotes on purpose, because... This is what a lot of people who are religious, who consider themselves decent people, this is how they see the scriptures. And some of them will claim to be Christ followers. They'll claim to be lovers of Jesus. But they don't believe truly, deep down, and they certainly don't live as if the Bible, which it is, the inspired, infallible word of God with absolute authority over my life. There are too many people out there who view the Bible in maybe one of those three ways, and there might be other ways in which to uh, describe the way the, uh, the people of our culture and around the world look at the Bible. But many, many people who even profess to be Christ followers, many people fall short of that fourth statement or that fourth question. Is the Bible the inspired, infallible word of God with absolute authority over my life? It is. So then, the 
Next question is, how do I respond to that truth that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God? How does then that apply to my life and how I live and the way I view the world and all the different issues and all the different, uh, different cultural uh, applications and then my, my own personal spiritual life, my relationship with God, my own personal moral choices, my own personal views of right and wrong. If the Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God and absolute authority over my life, then God decides what is right and wrong. God decides what is moral and immoral. God sets the rules. God sets the standards, and it's our responsibility to obey, to submit. So we talked about these major life questions. A lot of people are asking these questions today. They understand that there's a brokenness in the world. There's a despair. There are high suicide rates. People know that there is something gravely wrong. And politics isn't providing the answers. Obviously, drugs and alcohol and immorality are not providing the answers. People are not getting these questions answered deep down in their souls, in their being, because they're looking to all the wrong places for the answers. They're going to the wrong sources. And now we have in our individualistic culture, where are people trying to find the answers? Deep down in my heart. Somewhere deep down, I can find that inner spark of goodness. I can get that, I can fan that flame of goodness, and it can come out. And the authentic self will bring true freedom and liberty and bring satisfaction and joy. And people are finding that even the true self, the supposed authentic self, is leaving us empty and People are finding that deep down inside, it's not good. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we are corrupt, we are depraved, and when we get deep down inside, we find sewage, garbage, and it comes out, and as our culture takes away more and more of the restraint and the truths of God's word and the disrespect and the undermining of authority and the lack of good leadership and moral leadership and God-fearing leadership, on and on we could go, then the depravity of man's heart just shows more and more and more. And we end up with the reprobate mind and the, the culture that we are, are finding that we are living in more and more each day. Earl, you had a comment? Right. 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 And so I keep going back to the general revelation. Man's made in the image of God. We are made in the image and likeness of God. That gives us dignity, and God has revealed himself in a general way, creation, conscience, and the soul. 
I don't like to use prevenient grace or those kinds of terms because obviously they aren't biblical for one thing and then they make people have the wrong kinds of views of, of man and anthropology and, and, and of God. So I like to stick with what the scripture says about general revelation. And I think that's where we need to understand that man can respond to general revelation and in his intellect even recognize, hmm, these principles, they work. I'll have a better life if I stay married and I don't steal and I don't lie too much and I don't do too many bad moral immoral things, then I'll have a I'll have a decent life. Can man intellectually recognize and even by what we sometimes refer to uh, and again with 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 general revelation or uh, the, the grace of God that spills over from a moral home where the the children benefit from that, where people who are associated with strong Bible-believing Christians who live an obedient life and they benefit from that general grace, can we, can we say that yes, general revelation and general grace does benefit mankind as a whole? Yes, intellectually man can recognize certain things that work, okay, and provide for a better society, and in some ways, America has benefited from that. Not every founding father was a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. But there was a general awareness of God and a fear of God that, in many ways, our nation was founded on Christian principles, but not everybody was a genuine Christian. But there was a fear of God that was obvious in the culture and resulted in a constitution where God is mentioned, abortion is not, but God is very clearly mentioned, okay? So I've met people through the years, you guys have probably met people through the years, they're decent people, they're moral people, they have recognized, and we can name people who are popular in our culture, I mentioned one Wednesday night, and I listened to some conservative podcasts, news, politics, but those people fall short when they don't give God full authority and his word full authority. They have recognized certain moral principles. Some of these people that I listen to are very religious people, very conservative politically, but they fall short of the glory of God. Because they don't recognize the true gospel and the saving grace of Jesus Christ and him and him alone. One of them, we were talking about this at lunch yesterday, one of these very conservative political uh, podcasters, if I, may, if I mention his name, some of you would, would know him, but he, he came right out and said in a call, he said that our faith must be in Jesus Christ and the church. Why would he say that? Because he's a Catholic. He's a conservative Catholic. I agree with his views on abortion, on so many things in re regards to politics, but he falls short of faith alone in Christ alone. I mentioned Wednesday night, a very conservative, very popular individual 
who refers to God as the highest ethical spirit. (laughs) That's falling short of who God is. That's falling short of the gospel. Can we benefit from some of the things they say? Can we um, respect their views, maybe on politics and culture to a certain degree? Sure. But that moralistic principle doesn't save. That, moral, that moralistic intellectual knowledge doesn't save the soul from hell. It doesn't regenerate a man. It doesn't make him a, a, a new believer in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make him a new creation in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that there can't be some societal benefits from that. You don't lie, cheat, and steal and, and live immorally. Yeah, there's going to be societal benefits. But that doesn't save. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we, I'm not trying to say that we just throw out all these people and we never listen, but we listen with discernment. We listen with a biblical worldview. We understand what the Bible says. We test everything. We try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Now, I said a lot, but Derek, I think you had your hand up. You may have forgotten what you were going to say. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. It's a taste of God that should make us want more. Suppresses. Right. 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 They won't ultimately submit. They'll use the general grace, the general revelation. They'll use it for their benefit to have a better life. But without that submission, without that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's just filthy rags. It's moralistic. But it's just filthy rags. It's not ultimately the personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by faith alone in Christ alone. So, different views that try to answer these questions. Modernism, naturalism, postmodernism, expressive individualism. We talked about these last week. We won't go back and review all of them in detail. Human reason, science, and then just doubt, and then now self, expressive individualism. I can find the truth somewhere inside my authentic self. I determine truth for myself. And Ikea, a couple years ago, had a big advertisement, and it was on TV, and it was in their ads, and there was a transgender LGBT person that was working at Ikea, and the commercial talked about how Ikea is a very inclusive place. They are very inclusive employers. And this, this person, this, this lady, she said, I love being able to work for a company where I can determine my own truth. She basically came right out and said it. I have no idea what that had to do with selling furniture that you have to put together with stick figures. But... 
in her mind, she was promoting a selfish, authentic self. I determine my own truth. And she said, I love working for a place that respects that I determine my own truth for myself. And I thought, hmm, so, so do you go into Ikea and you say, well, I don't like the price of that couch. Um, Ikea is asking $200. My truth says that that couch should only be a dollar. You think Ikea would go with that? How do, don't they respect her truth? She might say the value of that couch is a dollar. What makes Ikea the truth determiner? Anyway, um, Earl? <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Who are you to say that that's a sink or a bed, right? Yeah. So, we ended last week uh, with uh, these words, and we will take some time today and dive a little deeper into the first word, revelation. But Jesus, these are just some summary statements to help us get an understanding of uh, these words. Revelation, God making himself known to man. Inspiration, God's method for delivering his word to man. Preservation, God's protection of his word. Translation, communication of God's word into languages from the original languages. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. Interpretation, the correct understanding of what God said. And then application is obeying, living, and following God's truth. Now, has Satan attacked God's word at every single one of these points? Yes. But we don't have to fear. God revealed his word, inspired his word, preserved his word, and God has given man the ability to accurately translate his word and with the help of the Holy Spirit as well to interpret God's word correctly and then to apply God's word. Now, we fail as men Not at revelation, that's God's doing. Not at inspiration, that's God's doing. Okay, man didn't mess those up. Okay, man didn't mess up the preservation of God's word. We have the word of God today. But man will sometimes not do a very good job in translating. And we'll talk about that some more. Man has translation views and ideas that aren't always... Uh, accurate or the best, or there's a philosophy, and we'll talk some more about that as we get further down. It doesn't mean that that changed the revelation, inspiration, or preservation of God's Word. Okay? So I want to make that point clear. Though man may struggle with translation, it doesn't mean that we're lacking an accurate translation of God's Word. (laughs) We are. We have the faithful, preserved Word of God. We have the inspired, infallible Word of God preserved for us today. Okay, some people they get really they get really bogged down on translation. Okay, I don't want to get too controversial uh, with that, but I do want to talk a little bit about that. Interpretation. This is where a lot of people argue. That's your interpretation. My interpretation is differently. A lot of times when people say that, it's just because they want an excuse to get out from underneath what God's word clearly says in order to have a, a sin, have a pet sin. Okay, and then application. Boy, man messes that up all the time. I know what God's word says, but I'm going to do my own thing anyway. All right? So, summary statements. 
we'll look at them in more detail. All right, Revelation. We've spent some time already talking about general revelation. Last week, I preached from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, verses 1 through 6. have a lot to say about general revelation. But revelation, we see it very clearly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 16, as we were looking at earlier, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, verse 17, may be perfect, thoroughly, or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do we see often in scripture the statements, the word of the Lord, God said, we know from general revelation, creation, conscience, and the soul. So in the word of God, there is reference to general revelation, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. We can talk about the conscience in Romans chapter number 1 and chapter number 2. We can talk about the soul, Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, where God has put the world in man's heart. Ecclesiastes 3, that word world is the word eternity. God has put eternity in the heart of man. So in the special revelation, God's word, there is mention of the general revelation. Creation, conscience, and consciousness, or just to keep it alliterated, the soul. But those don't save Those give man a taste of God, an idea of God, a knowledge of God that should cause him to want God more, or as Derek was saying a few minutes ago, that is enough to condemn man, as well as to cause man to want to know more about God, to respond to that. Cornelius is an example in the book of Acts. Recognize the general revelation of God. He had a taste of God and he wanted more. And who did God call to bring the special revelation to Cornelius? Who? Peter. Peter was up on the rooftop. God brought down the blanket with the non-kosher foods. And God said, Peter, what God hath made clean, man should no longer call unclean. And then what did he do from there? He called Peter to do what? To go to Cornelius preached the gospel to him, and the Holy Spirit came that day as Cornelius and his house got saved, and the Holy Spirit came and indwelled them, and it was a clear recognition of God saving the Gentiles and filling them with the Holy Spirit, indwelling them with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Cornelius is an example of someone who responded to the general revelation of God, but the special revelation of God, God's word, had to come in the Specific truths of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, repentance, faith in Christ. It was upon that, upon receiving the truth, that Cornelius got saved. Cornelius didn't get saved by having this general view of God that was respectful and reverential. And there have been big time preachers. One of which, if I mentioned his name, you would all recognize him. Who led a very ecumenical ministry. Did he preach the gospel sometimes to thousands? Yes. But he, was, he is on record as saying, 
if people are sincere enough around the world, even without a knowledge of Jesus Christ, even without the word of God, they could still be saved. He is on record for saying that. He would hold campaigns and crusades and thousands of people would come and then he would send them back to their churches that denied the faith, that had foundational, fundamental, doctrinal error, even sending them to Catholic churches and their priests. I remember when this particular man came years ago. I was early on staff at Eagle Dale Baptist Church under Pastor Defoe, and we went out on visitation. Of course, Pastor Defoe had received a letter from this man's campaign inviting us to come to his crusade downtown. They were going to be at the RCA Dome, Hoosier Dome, whatever it was called back then, or the Pacers Arena. I think it was the RCA Dome, the Hoosier Dome. For those of you who remember the Hoosier Dome, and then it was the RCA Dome, and then whatever they have now, forget the name of it, Lucas Oil, back before Lucas Oil. Okay, And we got letters, and I remember Pastor Foe telling us about it in staff meeting, and of course we weren't going to go. And, of course, he was reaching out to all the different denominations, even those who denied fundamental, who weren't even gospel-preaching denominations. And after the crusade, the campaign was over, we got a stack of, of, of we got an envelope with a whole, whole list of names and cards. And Pastor Foe and I went out on visitation, and we were knocking on all these doors, visiting all these people. And some people we never did talk to, but every single one of those people that we talked to, oh, yeah, I went to that. Oh, yeah, I, I went forward. Oh, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was fun. We had a good time, but, ah, you know. They couldn't, even, they couldn't even relate to us what happened, that they had gotten saved, that they had repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ. It was all just this emotional, yeah, yeah, it was, it was neat. I, I met Jesus. They had, you know, all these generic terms. None of them could give a salvation testimony as we talked to them. And sadly, there were thousands who probably came forward at that campaign who went back to their homes and their churches. Were there some, by the efficacy of God's word, who genuinely got saved? I've known people who've genuinely been saved sitting under this this man's preaching. He's gone to glory now. As far as I know, he's with the Lord. He he seems to be a genuinely saved man. But he is on record for saying that you didn't have to know Jesus Christ. General revelation was enough to save you. And if you were just sincere enough. Now that makes me doubt his salvation, but again, I'm not God. I can't know his soul. And he, he, he did preach the gospel, um, a very basic gospel message. But he actually was saying general revelation was enough. Without knowledge of Jesus, without God's word, people could still be saved. That's, that's wrong. Okay? So, special revelation, we know that the Bible, God's Word, and Christ. Christ is the living Word of God. And we read in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ, the living Word, the Bible, the written word. That is special revelation. And that is the only way a person can get saved. It's not through a general awareness of God, a general reverence, a general respect, 
just like Cornelius. He needed the special revelation, the gospel. Cornelius, upon receiving Christ as a Savior, repenting of his sins, he and his household got saved. So let's get into a more precise definition of revelation. Unger, in his Bible dictionary, he defines revelation as the divine act of communicating to man truth which otherwise man could not know. Okay? When Jesus called Nathaniel, Nathaniel was underneath the fig tree, right? Correct me if I'm, if I'm getting my names mixed up. Nathaniel was under the fig tree. And Jesus spoke to Nathaniel about the, the ladder, the heaven, and, and uh, descending and ascending, uh, descending and ascending. All that was to say to Nathaniel, you are going to receive truth that could only come from God and God alone. He was helping Nathaniel see the awesome responsibility of being a disciple of God, and he was going to have the privilege of receiving direct revelation from God and declaring that. Okay? Those apostles are all dead. There might be an apostle so-and-so on a billboard driving around Indianapolis, and I don't know so much around here, I haven't seen it, but there'd be billboards. West side of Indianapolis, there was a, you know, they usually have, and please, I'm not trying to offend, but they usually have a name of a church like um, the bread of God, the manna of God, the fire of God temple, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Big billboard, west side of Indianapolis, the Apostle Reverend Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. <laughs> and their church name is Calvary Fire. You know? and, and, and they claim apostleship. Now, we are saints upon trusting Christ as our Savior. We don't have to get sainted by the Catholic Church. Praise God, we are saints upon receiving Christ as our Savior. But apostles were a Special gift from God for a period of time. They're all dead. When John died around A.D. 90, 95, the apostolic gift to the church ceased. Okay? All right? So there are no more living apostles. The apostles had the gift of God of receiving new divine revelation. When revelation was complete, as John penned the book of Revelation by the inspiration of God... The canon of God's word was closed. And with the apostolic gift, with, with the apostle John dying, the apostolic gift ceased. 1 Corinthians 13, when that, when, when that is, is in part, is done away, and, and, I, I, and I can't quote it, I don't have time to go to 1 Corinthians 13, but we can read there in 1 Corinthians 13 about gifts and their usefulness and their, 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 their time, their temporary usefulness in the church. And then now we have the Word of God, the written Word of God, the Bible, the 66 books. We're not looking for new divine revelation. Okay, Most of these preachers who claim to be receiving revelation from God, and I mentioned not that long ago, a new movement among the Charismatics and the Pentecostals, and it's, I think it's called the New Apostolic Reformation, where men and women who claim to be new apostles of God, 
will actually express authority over pastors and their churches because they have received new revelation from God that makes them a higher authority and they would come in, if I were to let them, which I would, I would not, they would come in and they would say, we have received a revelation for you for Berean Baptist Church. And I would say, you are a false teacher. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Get out of here, okay? But that's what they're claiming now. And they're taking over charismatic Pentecostal churches and churches who, who, who believe that this person, these people have received new revelation and now claiming authority over individual churches. Dangerous stuff. I'm not saying I agree with everything that Carl Henry has written through the years, but this particular definition of revelation is very good. It is a divinely initiated activity, God's free communication by which he alone turns his personal privacy into a deliberate disclosure of his reality. Divine revelation is given for human benefit, offering us privileged communion with our creator in the kingdom of God. That's from his book, God, Revelation, and Authority. I quoted that from Fred Moritz's book, Contending for the Faith. It's a good definition. Carl Henry would end up compromising in some ways, but at the time that he gave this definition, uh, I think he's, he's very accurate about what Revelation is. Jude and verse 3. Jude and verse 3. We can, I think we have just enough time to turn and to introduce a little bit of this here. Uh, who will, well, if, if we could turn to Jude, the book of Jude, verse 3, but let's, let me give you four references real quick. Who will find 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three for us? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Okay, Sam's going to read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. I see another hand. Nat will read 1 Corinthians 15, 3. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. Derek will read 2 Thessalonians 2.15 and then 2 Peter 2.21. Nate here will read 2 Peter 2 and verse 21. Okay, so the book of Jude, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for, and let's all say it together, the faith, which was what? Once delivered unto the saints. The faith once delivered. Key phrases. Important for us to understand. The faith once delivered. Once delivered unto the saints, the phrase or the word delivered in the original language means to hand over, to give over, to deliver, to entrust. So God has delivered, once delivered unto the saints. The truth. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I think Sam's got that there in the back. And we see that word delivered in that verse. There it is again. Delivered. Handed over. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Nat's got that. Okay, and that's gospel. That's the gospel. The essence of the gospel summarized there. Delivered 
but it was delivered upon having received. Who did Paul receive that from? God. Paul received that truth and it was delivered. And of course, lived out in, in the person of Jesus Christ, the living word. Okay. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Was that Derek? Thank you, Jessica. I mean, Derek. <laughs> He's holding Jessica. If you didn't know, she was reading that. No. <laughs> so once again, traditions is in that. For, is in that right? Tradition. That is the word. That is the word that is synonymous with the faith. Tradition, the faith. Paul. Paul is 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 not saying there's. Church traditions, sacramental traditions that we must keep in order to be saved. He's referring to tradition. The King James translators use the word tradition to speak of the faith. Now, um, can you go back one more time and finish that verse for us again? Okay. So, which ye have been taught, I have delivered to you revelation from God. And then we have lived that out by the grace of God to the best of our ability. We are the epistle written of God. Our lives have hopefully supported the truth that was delivered from God that we then obviously must obey and and live by. And then 2 Peter 2 and verse 21. I think Nate's got that. 2 Peter 2, 21. Holy commandment delivered to them. Now, in that context, he's dealing with apostates who have rejected the holy commandment delivered, given, handed over to them. That just goes to show like a Judas who could even be that close. Judas, remember, he's at the Last Supper, the Lord's table, and they're asking, is it I? Who's going to betray Christ? Judas had been that close, had even, in a sense, handled the holy commandment, but had dropped it, had not accepted it, received it, and submitted to it, and obeyed it. He was an apostate. Okay? But again, we see holy commandment, we see delivered, handed over. So that's revelation. We see the, the scripture very clearly speaking of revelation. Deuteronomy 29 in verse 29, just very quickly here, we go back to the Old Testament. This is not just a New Testament teaching. Deuteronomy 29 in verse 29, Moses is near the end of his final sermon before he dies, and we know the verse, we can quote it, Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The law was given by God. The law is God's word. Again, the idea of revelation of God delivering his word, revealing his word. We already went through in last Sunday's message, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. And then we can go to Psalm 119, where all but two of the verses 
make reference to the Word of God. We could go to the Old Testament theophanies, a appearance of God in the Old Testament, or Christophanies, the appearance of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament. All are examples of revelation, special revelation. And then we'll close with this, and then we'll come back. Jude in verse 3. Jude in verse 3. And there's other passages that make reference, some of which are listed there. The faith. So here we are, coming down to the end of the canon of Scripture, and there is more and more reference to the faith. The whole body of truth, the sum of what Christians believe. Philippians 1 and verse 27. We'll have to come back to these next week. 1 Timothy 3, 9. 1 Timothy 4, 1. 1 Timothy 6, 12. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. There is a body of truth, the divinely revealed word of God, that is now closed, that God preserved for us. Think about that. We have in our hands the divinely revealed body of truth in the written word of God. Isn't that amazing? Preserved, translated, and needs to be properly interpreted and obviously obeyed fully. But we have the very revealed word of God in our hands. Why do we go running after any other source? Why do we try to find help in all the wrong places when God has given us his word? It's, 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 it's overwhelming. It, it's, it's such an awesome thought. And we need to, again, once again, bring our confidence back to the scriptures. We'll come back and we'll review and then move on, uh, Lord willing, next week to inspiration. But any final comments or questions? Yes, David. Right, right. So, is there historical fact? Is there scientific fact in Scripture? Sure. The Bible doesn't reveal everything about science or everything about history, but every historical fact, every scientific fact is, is true. And are there, are there, well, we'll I'll have to come back. I'm going to get too carried away. It's already um, time to quit, and I'll go off on a, another sermon. I can't do that out of time. But good, good point. Very good point. And we'll come back to that again next week. All right, anything else? No? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the confidence that we can have in the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to live in the light of that confidence.